Pat's already sat down, so she's not at the piano. But I, I just, uh, there's a song that's been one of my favorite songs. And uh, I just want to kind of read through the words with you this morning uh, as an introduction to what I'm going to be talking about. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture, now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bringing from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. Perfect submission. All is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. Hallelujah. Blessed assurance. And I want to say this morning, if you don't have that blessed assurance that Jesus is yours, you can have. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You can know beyond any doubt that Jesus Christ is yours. Hallelujah. In the New Testament, there is a Greek word which means full assurance. Pleuroforia. And it only appears in the New Testament four times. And I believe as we look at these four scriptures, God has a message for us this morning. Hallelujah. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak to us in a very special way. God that we might have that assurance, that we might have that faith, that we might be strong. Lord, you want a people who can stand against the wiles of the devil. You want a people who will not bend or will not bow to these idols that the world puts before them. But you want a people that are strong. And God, would you encourage us this morning. May the Holy Spirit take the words that are brought forth and just apply it to our lives individually. God, may the anointing of the Holy Spirit rest upon this, your preacher, 
that I might bring forth this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. The first scripture I want to look at is over in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Starting with verse 1, chapter 1. Paul, Salvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, I'm having problems with that word this morning, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The word pleroforia is the word that is translated here in verse 5, and in much assurance. I believe that Paul had a real assurance that the gospel message which he preached was going to accomplish that for which God had sent it. I believe that he realized that he had a earth-shaking message. He had a message that would move things and change lives. There's a story that was in the Christianity Today And it says, one summer I spent some time in Mount uh, Robin, British Columbia, and I camped and climbed with fellow mountaineers of the Alpine uh, Club of Canada. On a rainy day, our group was drinking tea in, the in a tent when a discussion arose about religion. A young scientist turned to me with a uh, patronizing air and said, but you don't really believe, do you, that Jesus is the Son of God? And I said, yes, I do. But how can you prove it? He said. How do you know it's true? And I'll never forget what followed. I simply did what any other convinced man would have done. I looked him straight in the eye, and I said, How do I know that Jesus is the Son of God? I know it 
because I know him personally. And for one moment, our eyes were fixed on one another. And then the argument was done. He turned and left. There is nothing any stronger than a personal testimony. No one can refute your testimony. I know Jesus is alive because I talked to him this morning before I came in here. I am assured he said that his word would not return unto him void, but would accomplish that for which he sent it. I know in whom I believe. And I know that he is well able. Amen? Oh, hallelujah. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. There's something about this gospel message that changes a person. Hallelujah. And I want you to know here, he says, verse 5, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. Hallelujah. Paul had seen some lives changed. He had seen the glow that comes over a person's face once they've accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. There's no greater thrill on earth than to see the change that comes over these people as they begin to live in the Holy Spirit. Oh, glory to God. Paul had seen the Holy Spirit in full operation. Turn with me to Acts 17. Hallelujah. Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. This is where the letter we're reading was to the Thessalonians, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbath reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to uh, suffer and raise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, 
join Paul and Silas. Hallelujah! That word works! All he did is he went and he preached Jesus Christ and him crucified. And uh, God began to move in a mighty way. And many people became believers. And a church was born. The church at Thessalonica. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul had full assurance that this gospel works. And we should have that same kind of assurance. Over in Isaiah 55, verse uh, 10, it says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and we've seen a lot of that coming down here lately, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but, the, but water the earth and make it bring forth bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What a promise! All you've got to do is go out there and speak the gospel message and people's lives will be changed. People will accept Jesus Christ. Things will change in this city because we've gone in the power of the Holy Spirit preaching a gospel that cannot fail. Amen? Hallelujah. The second scripture in which I find this word used, paraphoria, is over in Hebrews. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, that's the word right there, in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from, the, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hallelujah. Full assurance of faith. A faith that does not waver. Full assurance. Fully persuaded. A faith that stands... That's what we want, isn't it? Well, how could they do it? If you look at verse 21, it says, Having a high priest over the house of God. You see, this high priest is Jesus Christ. And over in Hebrews 7:26. It talks about this high priest, and it says, For such a high priest was, uh, was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the people. For this 
He did once for all when he was offered, when he offered up himself. You see, in the Old Testament, they were continually offering up sacrifices. And because the high priest was not infallible, because he was a sinner like everyone else, he had to first offer sacrifices for himself and then for the people. And it had to be done over and over and over and over again. But Jesus is our high priest, and he was faultless. He was without sin. And he offered up one sacrifice himself. He offered up the sacrifice once for all. For all. That means whosoever will may come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he can save to the uttermost. There's nobody that is beyond the capability of the blood of Jesus Christ saving them. He saved them. What a wonder that was. He saved you, didn't he? That means he can save whosoever you can think of. You can have full assurance of faith. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that this high priest was not like the high priests that were in Israel. This high priest knows exactly how you feel. Hallelujah. 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are. In all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You say you're going through a trial. Jesus has already been through it. You say you're being tempted in some certain area of your life. Jesus was tempted in a like manner, yet he overcame. That's what he's saying. And he knows what's going on in your mind and in your heart and in your life. And he's able to save. We'll confess our sins unto him. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 7.25 says he ever lives to make intercession. You know, they were forever changing the uh, high priest because one would die off and they'd have to have another one. But this one lives forever and ever. And he can save to the uttermost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10, verse 23. <coughs> Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. 
In other words, full assurance of faith without wavering. So many of us have this experience of up and down, up and down, up and down. But we can have full assurance. We can have a steadfastness in our walk with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. The next one is found over in Colossians. This word, plerophoria. Colossians 2.2. 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance, there's the word, of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, I don't know about you people, but I'm so glad for some of these newer translations. I read that and I said, what on earth are they talking about? See, I'm a little bent at times. So I went to one of the easier ones. I went to the Living Bible. Let me read it from the Living Bible. This is what I have asked of God for you, that you will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, that you will have the rich experience of knowing Christ with real certainty and clear understanding for God's secret plan now at last made known is Christ himself. In him lies hidden all the uh, mighty, untapped treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Makes a little more sense, doesn't it? And where it says there, the rich experience of, uh, experience of knowing Christ with real certainty, that's the word paraphoria. Full assurance. How do we have this full assurance of understanding that is talked about here? Three things. Number one, it says by being knit together in love. As we are knit together in love, we begin to experience the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? Number two, by having an experience with Jesus Christ in a personal way. And number three, not only having an experience with Christ, but getting to know God the Father through Jesus Christ. Amen? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy... Listen to what it says. The knowledge of the holy is understanding. So if you want full assurance of understanding, you've got to have a knowledge of the holy. And there's no better way of getting a knowledge of the holy 
than having a fellowship with Jesus Christ and allowing him to have that fellowship working through you to fellow believers. And non-believers alike, really. I mean, experiencing the love of God flowing through you brings you to full understanding of what is holy and what is unholy. And last of all, is full assurance of hope, and that's found over in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Again, I'm going to read verses 11 and 12 there from the Amplified Bible. Because, but we do strongly and earnestly desire for each of you to show the same diligence all the way through in realizing and enjoying the full assurance and development of your hope until the end. In order, here's why he wants that, he wants you to develop this hope, develop this assurance, in order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators, having as do those who through faith, that is, by their learning of the entire personality of God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness, and by practice and patient endurance and waiting are now inheriting the promises. I want you to have this full assurance so that you can inherit the promises. Did you get it? Every promise in the book is yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Amen? And I want you not to lose hope because if you lose hope, you will become discouraged, you'll become disinterested, you'll become backsliders. But you become... Rather than spiritual sluggards, I want you to maintain. I want you to have this full assurance of hope. And the reason, it brings it out much clearer in the Amplified here, it says, waiting are now inheriting. Now inheriting. Now inheriting the promises. Most of us are, are, are afraid that we're going to have to wait until eternity to get any of the promises. Well, all the promises are yea and amen right now. You can have the things that it says in the Bible. You can have healing. You can have, uh, you can have God's guidance. You can have God's direction. You can have God's blessings. Now! 
But without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you need this full assurance. You need to be steadfast in the faith. And we have faith that Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming for a church without spot, without wrinkle. And when he gave us this ordinance, he said, as often as you partake of this cup, and, uh, eat of this bread and partake of this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And so when we partake of it this morning, we are proclaiming that Jesus is coming, that Jesus is at work, this gospel is true, this gospel saves, and we have forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a high priest that is ever living to make intercession for us. Isn't that good? Oh, hallelujah. I want you to prepare your hearts to receive. Because as we partake of this, we're reminded of what it costs. This bread represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. This great juice, this fruit of the vine, represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It cost him his life. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask that the elders would come to the front. I want everyone searching their heart. This is not something that you should do in a hurry, even if you've got a roast on. This is not something that you should do unmindful of what you're doing, and you do it out of a ritual. This is very serious business. They got so used to it in First Corinthians over in Corinth that they were partaking of it in an unsightly manner, not waiting for one another. God said that uh, they weren't confessing their sins because they had confessed their sins, they would have been healed. But because they weren't, they they were on they were partaking of this body and this. Uh, this um, blood unworthily, they were drinking damnation unto themselves. This is serious business. I want you to search your heart. Make sure you've confessed your sins. And the more you realize you're a sinner, the more qualified you are to partake of this meal, this love feast, this ordinance.